So hi, everyone. I'm Paige, and this is the Euro Intelligence Podcast covering current affairs in the EU and Eurozone. I am back in Oxford and joined by Wolfgang and Suzanne, directors of Euro Intelligence. Today, we are talking about the European Council. Uh, the Lithuanian ambassador to the EU described it as more about long throws than slam dunks. He said it's the end of the quarter, not the game. But uh, Boris Johnson, no deal. Wolfgang, do you think that's actually what happened today? What's what's going on with Brexit right now? No, it's not not that it, that it happened today, but what, what clearly happened is that uh, the UK is throwing the ball back to the court of the EU. The EU said it didn't set a signal for the negotiations. And the UK said, okay, in this case, there's no point to it. Now, Johnson didn't actually say that. He just basically said, we're going to prepare for no deal. And in the meantime, we, we keep talking. But his spokesman this afternoon said that there is no point in the negotiations continuing. So they hardened the line. This means that the negotiations may or may not happen uh, next week, but there will be, be no not much to discuss because both sides will have a political mandate where none of them moves. The UK will at this point not move on fish. They made an offer on fish. This was rejected. There has been some progress on the level playing field. I don't think it, there has been progress on the essential issues. There are some framework issues on which people have done some work. So the fact that people have done some work on issues like uh, dispute settlement procedures which are difficult, but they were not the fundamental controversy over the, the issue. The, the, the big deal is about dynamic alignment. What happens if one, you know, if the EU changes its, its regulation, the UK doesn't? None of that has been addressed, and there is no progress on that. And the EU leaders have only, they only stay with their general line that, you know, they all want to stick together. Uh, and that there can be no cherry picking. And I mean, it'd be basically, you know, I've heard this one for, for, for a year, but, you know, for there to be a deal, something will have to happen. You know, a breakthrough, political breakthrough would have to happen, um, I, I would reckon, in the next four weeks at some point. Now, we don't have to think about this. It's a bit like, you know, when countries declare war, they don't do this formally anymore. And there's no, not like the ambassador comes there with a letter, presents that to the king, and then it's a formal declaration of war, like throwing down a gauntlet. A trade negotiation doesn't end because somebody declares it to be over. Mm-hmm. What the the way you know the way towards no deal, if indeed that is the case, and I'm you know I'm I'm still you know not willing to predict that, but if indeed no deal is the outcome, it's clearly a possible outcome. Then it won't be declared. It, it, they will just run out of time. They will just run it down uh, down the road, and it's basically there will come a point at which a deal is no longer possible. Well, you did predict today one of two outcomes, though, that uh, Boris Johnson would pull the plug or, like you said, that he would just kind of extend the negotiations. Uh, The third option, as Brexit Twitter kind of pointed out and tried to argue unsuccessfully, was that there would be a compromise and a deal. Whose statecraft failed more in this situation? Who who had a bigger face plan today, the EU or the UK? I think, uh, as as so often in these negotiations, the two sides mis- misjudged each other. The UK misjudged something this week when they thought that by signaling that it could extend the talks, it thought that the EU would take this as an as a concession or as a as a as a warming. The EU, on the contrary, took this as a weakness and hardened up and basically came up with all this. There was this briefing by one EU official who, you know, who, who said the UK will un- ultimately always come around. They always lose in negotiations. <laughs> yeah. It's like. You know, talking to the UK is like getting children to eat their vegetables. <laughs> yeah. It's it has you know there is a certain contempt uh, in this and and also in the language also in in Macron's press conference when he says outright that the UK needs this deal more than we do. 
we are at the position where people think that they can, that the other side will fold or will will necessarily fold, and I think that is a mutual miscalculation. Mm-hmm. Um, the the French have a very strong position with fish. Um, they have signaled very clearly that they're not giving up on that. If they were to prepare for a compromise, they would have to give some signals to their own people that something is happening. It would become as a shock. Otherwise, after all the statements Macron and Bourne and others have made, it would come as a complete shock if they compromised, if, if they met the UK halfway. But instead, we see Macron and Clément Bourne doing photo ops with French fishermen. So that's interesting. And further to what you were saying about Macron, he has insisted after the European Council today that... Uh, Leaders had shown complete unity in negotiations, but that's not true. I mean, we had um, from Luxembourg, Xavier Bettel saying that they should not let one sole issue like fishing rights kind of determine the, the course of the negotiations. Merkel herself has called for compromise. How long is EU unity going to last, uh, given the circumstances now? It will. Um, Boris Johnson understands something really well, that if he pushes this to the limit, the EU unity will be tested. Uh, and the word tested is actually quite right. It doesn't mean it will necessarily fail that test, but it's certainly tested. It hasn't been tested yet. Merkel has kind of always said there should be compromise in all these Sunday speeches, but there hasn't been any real, real definition of the issues. The EU has interests too, and this is something that is often misjudged, uh, especially by by my media that are friendly towards the EU, who portray this as a very one-sided, you know, as a as you know, the whole Brexit thing is an unreasonable thing that the EU needs to be absolutely tough on. Uh, Brexit, you know, the EU has, and we're going to talk about Turkey very soon. But the EU currently mismanages all its external relationship with Russia, with Turkey, and it looks like it's mismanaging probably its single most important external relationship, which will be with the UK. The question is: Are we willing to pay the price? Because are we willing to let fish be the issue over which this fails? No more fish. I, you know, we once made the daring prediction that this thing will not fail over fish. That might have been the biggest misjudgment of our, you know, that we've ever made. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, even I mean, I've seen. You know, it's not that we don't think that people can't be irrational. That's yeah, kind of our daily experience. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, we didn't think that people that all of them can be so irrational for such a long time yeah. that's something we didn't quite predict uh, but yeah it's quite possible and if they want to do this but there are other interests there are you know german companies dutch companies that export to the uk there are french citizens in the uk who, who may not have a passport a uk passport and who may find that a no deal situation leaves them more exposed that is a consideration it may not be the dominant consideration but it's certainly not a zero consideration um, there are reasons for the EU too to have a trade deal. Now, I have come to the conclusion that if if if, a, if people enter in negotiations, and one side has these incredible these misjudgments about the other, about whether the the other side needs it more, like Macron did today, or whether uh, whether the effect of a no deal would be, you know, there would be a specific projection of an economic effect for it. This makes it difficult because we have to make an, you know, not only have to actually deal with the trade issues, but we actually have to make, get around all these judgments. Now, if there is a no deal, and if we, you know, if the two sides come back together, say in March or April, then a lot of these questions are answered. Uh, And then at that point, a trade deal will become a matter for 
uh, we could actually both benefit from it as opposed to this kind of toxic negotiation that it is yeah. at the moment. So I'm coming around to the view that that a a deal is probably best achieved after an initial shock of a, a no deal. And it will be a, a shock. Uh, I mean, even a deal will be a shock. Uh, it's not like, you know, it's, this is a this is a regime change in any case. The, the main difference is that there will be tariffs and quotas. Um, that will be an additional issue. There will be perhaps no access, UK access to the EU energy market. Uh, there will be years. another number of issues on foreign security policy that would have to be, uh, where the two sides would have to come together. But it will probably be, they will probably achieve a more a closer agreement next year when they negotiate uh, outside that deadline pressure that they are negotiating under right now. Um, I, I think it's this has become too toxic. Well, that was the unconventional solution that you kind of proposed today. But you had some accusations afterwards that you're anti-EU how would you respond to those accusations? <laughs> I getting I mean, people and you get uh, it a lot. I, I get accusation that I'm extremely pro EU and anti EU, and I often in response to the same article. It is just that people have a people. That's particularly true in the UK. That criticism of the EU in the UK is usually understood to be anti EU. That is not the case on the continent, where the EU as a as a thing is not questioned. I don't question the EU, uh, but I criticize the policy, such as you criticize your own country's government, that doesn't mean that you criticize, that you question your own country. So it's just basically an, a question of immaturity of certain people who think that 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 the EU must be, that there can only be a pro-anti and nothing, nothing, nothing mm-hmm. in between. So pipe down, Brexit Twitter, <laughs> enough. Uh, turning now to Turkey, which was the other big event at European Council today. Uh, Susanna, your tone in your note today about Turkey really made an impression. Um, I got a sense of total exasperation. And then I saw the new draft conclusions on Turkey that no longer include talk about a potential arms embargo. There's a bit of a dispute right now, a bit of back and forth over whether a one-week ultimatum for Turkey to pull its ship out of Greek waters was removed from these draft conclusions. Merkel has said that Turkey's provocations are regrettable, but nothing has really come out of this European Council summit apart from them reaffirming what they said last time. So were you surprised when you heard about these draft conclusions? What are what are your thoughts right now on the EU's approach to Turkey? I was not at all surprised. To be fair, that they said before that Turkey was not really on the agenda officially. So it wasn't really prepped. On the other hand, it would have been a good occasion to actually mark this and say, put out a, put out something that, that shows the EU is ready to act. And that was absolutely absent. Mm-hmm. Uh, saying that uh, the provocations are regrettable is, is cynical in a way, isn't yeah. it? Um, she said, like, focus on the positives. She was like, let's focus exactly. on the positive. But like, this, is, is positive I think, right now? this is, I think, where the EU misjudgment comes from. It's, um, it's taking a very rational approach towards negotiating with uh, Recep Tajik Erdogan, but you can't rationally dis- uh, negotiate with him because his strength is not in rational negotiations. Mm-hmm. His strength is emotionally and he's playing the the european leaders big time mm. 
if you understand how he's manipulating uh, and how he's pulling the strings by doing a little provocation there, not enough to get him really, really into trouble, but just enough to get everyone on the toes. He's trolling them. Yes, he's trolling them. And then they they can't really catch them in flagranti, mm -hmm. but they are also bound by their own words and by their own kind of logic. So what do you think is the outcome here? I mean, you were writing again about red lines today. Is there... I keep asking this question, but is there any red line that Erdogan could cross apart from, you know, kinetic conflict uh, that would actually force the EU's hand? Or do you foresee this situation dragging on until either he's not in power anymore or I don't know? I mean, what what's what's the solution here? I mean, if you look at Greece and Turkey and the relevance for the European Union, I would say that Turkey is more important for the EU uh, than Greece. It's a burn to Greece, though. I mean, <laughs> yes, I mean, Greece gave us democracy and it gave us a history. Yes, but it's small compared to the significance that Turkey has in the Middle East as the country between Asia and Europe. Mm -hmm. And the geopolitical leader whom Erdogan himself made himself to. So the lack of foreign policy strategy, this is the problem. Mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're entering that room and you're squeezed between US and Russia and have then uh, Erdogan um, imposing himself as, as the new regional uh, caliph, then this is a real problem because they don't really have without a strategy you have no moral ground mm -hmm. to stand on and uh, it's not really about sanctions it's not really only about that it is it's really is a bigger picture and as long as they, we don't get that foreign policy strategy on turkey right and on the ground there there will always be these value judgments that sort of keep us trapped into time frame or whatever consensual things or these these overlapping issues, refugees on the one hand, uh, sanctions on the other, is this about drilling rights in the Mediterranean, yes or no? All these overlapping subjects help Erdogan to play us. Mm -hmm. It's a, Yeah, it seems like there's no end to it. That was actually, I'm glad you mentioned refugees, though, because that was another thing that struck me about your note today was... How Erdogan uses refugees and this, as we've mentioned before, this pact with the devil, would throwing money at the problem make it go away or are we beyond that point? I mean, if the EU was to drop, you know, another few billion euros on Erdogan, would that shut him up? Would that get the boat to go away or is it, you know, is this more of kind of a, I don't want to say existential, but more of a high stakes battle for him than something that's just money to keep refugees in, in Turkey's borders? I don't think that Erdogan is motivated by money. Uh, I His vision is uh, a new Turkey empire and that crosses from Afrika to Asia. Yeah. And this will not stop, be stopped or in any way. I mean, it's like sugarcoating something. And yes, he takes the refugees as hostage mm -hmm. uh, and he uses them in he, on the one hand, he pretends to be the protector. On the other hand, he uses them to signal to the EU, well, you can't mess with me, otherwise I'll send you all the refugees. Yeah. I mean, one of the consequences of his politics, uh, if, if he were to put money in it, we just give another sugar cane. It's like sugar addiction. And then you, next time he will show up and ask something else. Oh. 
he's the one that needs to eat his vegetables. Like, yeah. No one can figure <laughs> out how to do it. Ah, Erdogan, jerk. Okay, well, once again, we end things on a very positive note. Uh, thank you both for joining me for this week's podcast. And stay tuned because next week, wait, shoot, what are we doing next week? Do we know what we're talking about next week? We have no clue what we're going to talk about next week because <laughs> no, next week like, hasn't happened yet. Do we know? Yet. Do we know well, what we happened with like Brexit? Look ahead. We don't. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's true. Uh, so a lot of movements can happen. Yeah. Okay. Well, just stay tuned and, and join us next week. Until next time. <laughs>